Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I am in my new series on fatherhood, and we are in part two. And I've entitled this, Fathers Are Providers, Biblical Fatherhood. My focus is on provision. Fathers are providers. So this whole idea of fatherhood, of course, originates with our Heavenly Father who loves and blesses, provides, protects, and disciplines us. He's good in every way. He is the ideal that we as earthly fathers strive for in our marriages and our families. We want to emulate who our father is in heaven. I appreciated what Matt had to say last week, that as earthly fathers, our children begin to relate to God via who we are as fathers. And that's why it's so important to get this fatherhood thing down, right? Because that's such a huge impact on our kids. So God is good. And though we're far from perfect, we're growing into and cultivating true, compassionate, and strong fatherhood in this place. In the name of Jesus and by his spirit, we are becoming better fathers. So today we're going to look at what it means to provide for our wives and our children. Keep in mind that it's more than just the fathers that I'm speaking to today. It's important for women to understand uh, this issue of what a husband is, what a father is. It's important for children to understand what a father is and should be. The vast majority of our boys will grow up and marry and become fathers. So what we're learning should be taught and modeled for our boys. And again, our girls too need to have and see what good fathers are. I thought about this this week for the first time in my, in my career as a, as a pastor. I thought, I think we need to get back to finishing schools. I think, I think we need to get back to helping uh, boys become men and what it means to be a man and what it looks like to be a man and what the role and function of a, of a man is. And for girls, what it means to be a woman and what a woman is and looks like. Good grief, Charlie Brown, I'm just wanting to cuss. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've got to get back to the basics, to the ancient paths, because the world is spiraling out of control it's becoming disordered and running into what will be chaos if it's not turned around very shortly. So, men or husbands, or I'm sorry, I want to talk about men's husbands and fathers. We are called to be providers. Now, we go all the way back to Genesis because that's where it all begins. We talked about this last week and the week before. So I'm going to get back to Genesis once again and look at this whole issue of fatherhood. And we find something very, very powerful in the curse that comes to Adam as a result of his rebellion, his disobedience. It tells us something about fatherhood. Genesis 3.17. Then to Adam, God said, after he had rebuked the snake, and now he's going to deal with Adam and Eve. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Focus on the word toil. You're now going to work hard. It will no longer yield beautifully and easily for you. It's something you're now going to have to slave over. What would have been like a hobby is now going to become somewhat painstaking in order to get it to produce. This is a result of the fall. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Who? You, Adam. Adam's the one that's supposed to toil. Adam's the one that's supposed to provide. He's the one that actually cares for the garden. Verses 18 and 19. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. In other words, it's work now to get your sustenance. That which came so beautifully and easily now will come only after much work. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you were dust, and to the dust you shall return. I don't got time. It's a great story. I'll tell you. No, I'm not going to tell you. It's, I, okay. So, so, so God intended for us to rest and celebrate and to really receive from his creation provision. And because of the fall, everything became hard. Now, through Jesus, all of that can be reversed and that can begin to change for us as we come back into the, the, the place of his presence and the place of promise. Um, but I remember one time my dad was taking us to church. We go to church every week. I'll tell you in just a moment. But we're all in, in the car, and, uh, you know, we're all young kids. Uh, I think I was about eight years old, seven years old. And we backed the car out of the driveway, and as we're backing it into the street, my neighbor is on his hands and knees clipping his grass, edging the grass with one of those edgers, hand edgers. I don't know if you got to be old, older than 60 to know what that is. So anyway, he's just, he's just dripping sweat. He's just working and working his lawn. And my dad said, how's it going, Mr. So-and-so? And he says, good, Mike. He goes, how are you doing? He says, well, I'm blessed. My dad says, what are you doing? He says, well, you know, I'm just working away. And my dad says, well, we're going to church. He goes, yeah, I don't go to church. My dad says, yeah, you know what the Bible says, don't you? He says, uh, there's no rest for the wicked. Rolls up the window and we drive off. And I thought, I'm like looking back at the neighbor. I'm thinking, did my dad actually say that? Now, I tell you that not to emphasize what my dad should not have said. But rather, because of the curse, life is hard. There is no rest. Work, 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 and no play just to eat, just to get by. That's the curse. But in Jesus, that gets reversed, as my dad pointed out in a negative way. Okay, so. I say all that to say this, that in the curse, we see that the role of a man, a husband specifically, and later a father, 
He is to be the main breadwinner. By the, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. This is where we get the idea of a breadwinner, the one who brings provision in. He's the primary breadwinner of the family. This is what men are called to do. So fathers, we provide. And we're to provide both physical and spiritually for our fam- families. So let me talk about the earthly provision first. Fathers provide the basics of earthly life through consistent hard work. Man, I was growing up, I hardly ever saw my dad. I'd have to get up early just to sit while he drank coffee and ate breakfast if I wanted to see him, which means I didn't see him too much because I'd like to sleep in. And then he would come home late and oftentimes had a side gig and would take off again. He averaged about 60 hours a week, sometimes 70, different times of his life. He did that in order to give his wife and the children the basics of life, food, clothes, shelter, and education. This is a father's responsibility, and this is what he taught me. I started working when I was 15 years old. I got my first actual job through an employer at 15 years old. And I've been working ever since, almost 50 years now. Fathers are inspired by God to work and provide for their families. First Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith. Did you? That's huge. See, see, the father who, who refuses to provide for his family, it says he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. When I went and asked Don's father for his daughter's hand in marriage, I didn't know what to anticipate. I went in, I love, I was so smitten. I was so smitten. I'm thinking, man, don't mess this up. Do not, I've messed some things up in my life. Don't mess this one up. So I had it all down. I went in there and I was just like, I, I, I spent, really I spent months trying to figure out what I was going to say. So, and I did a lot of respect for her father, hardworking man, right? And, uh, and, he, and we weren't close at all, me and him, we were not close. I used to go there and I'd be at, at, at Don's house to like, you know, late at night, you know, and, uh, he didn't like that. I couldn't understand it. Now I do. Once I became a dad with a daughter, I did. I understood it. So anyway, one night he gets up out of bed to go to the kitchen to get a drink of water. He doesn't even know I'm there. I'm in the living room. Me and Don, we're just whispering, you know, talking. Oh, yeah. So he goes walking out. All he's got on is like a t-shirt and underwear. He's in his undies, and he's a hardworking blue-collar worker. So, you know, it's not like he had fancy underwear. In fact, the little rubber things that keep everything, you know, kind of like, so he's just, you know, so here he is with no dignity for the first time in front of me, which you'd never want to do with whoever's. So he looks at me and goes, what are you doing here? I said, talking to Don. He says, yeah, well, you and I are going to have a talk. And then he walked into the kitchen to get his glass of water. 
I thought he wanted to have a talk. I got up, I went in the kitchen. Now he's in the kitchen lights, and I'm standing there, and he's in his underwear. And you're not going to win any fights in your underwear. You know, that's just a principle of manhood. So he turns around, and he looks at me, and he says, he says, what are you doing? I said, I thought you wanted to talk. He says, not now. He says, get out of here. Get out of my house. You know, man, I just ran out of there. I was so scared, you know. I thought, man, I'm kind of messing this up. So long story short, I worked this out. And I thought, you know what? He kind of likes me, kind of doesn't. I'm a little confused, but I love his daughter. I got I to gotta, I gotta do this, I, you know. So I found a good time. He was in a good mood. I knew it was the right day. So I went and I said, uh, can I talk to you in the living room? He said, sure. We went in the living room. And I said, uh, Mr. Kane, I'd, I'd like to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. And before, before you say anything, I just, I just want you to know that I love her. I'll, I'll give my life to her. And I respect you as her father. And if you see anything in me that you're concerned about that, that would in any way put Don at risk, you know, you tell me, I'll go work on it. I will not marry your daughter until you say I'm ready. I will wait on you. Hey, that was, that was good, right? That was good. Yeah, so I asked him that, and he asked me a series of questions, which... In hindsight, we're insightful. Not what I anticipated. He said, uh, where do you work? So I told him where I worked. and He says, how much money do you make? I, I want to know your cash flow monthly. I wasn't ready for that, but I kind of figured out the ballpark figure and told him. He says, uh, do you have health insurance through your company? He says, do you have any debt? And if so, how much? And where do you plan to take my daughter and live? You see, he expected me to provide for her basic needs first and foremost. His answer to my request was not questions about feelings of romance or love, but rather on if I had the character and ability to provide for his daughter's basic needs. In summary, love is more than a feeling. True love, true love prepares and equips itself to provide for the one it chooses to love. Young men, listen to me. Focus on your education. Focus on your education. I highly recommend you get a four-year degree minimum, minimum, or a solid journeyman level trade. Then secure employment with enough pay and benefits to support and start a family. After, After you got that in place, after you got that... You can now start the process of finding a good woman to marry, to start a family. You know, we do that all backwards. We can't even get out of high school, and we're dating. Like, we could provide for someone. Where do you think dating leads to? Wait, hello, you know, McVeigh, anybody home? 
Hormones, the most powerful chemical reaction known to mankind. And you think you're going to overcome it? No, you should never start those, in my opinion, never start that process until you have the ability to marry a woman and provide for her. Because if not, you're just going to get in trouble and disappoint her and yourself and just rue the day that you, you did that. We got to turn this around. I think it's important for us to prepare for marriage first, get everything in place, and then start the process of looking for a spouse. Side note. When I was dating Don, I was in my first year of college. My dad said, son, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, I said, dating? My dad says, what? what? You're in college, son. I said, yeah, I know. What's, what's the problem, dad? I'm getting good grades. He, he says, no, son, listen, she's going to ruin your college. I said, she is not. He says, she's going to ruin your college, son. I'm telling you right now, you need to finish college first, then start dating. I said, dad, I love her. You know, I said, I'm not going to mess this up. He says, well, you're, you're a man. So, you know, you make your own decision. So I did. I dropped out of college. <laughs> Followed her to beauty school. She went to be a cosmetologist. I thought, man, I cannot, I cannot lose her. I cannot, I got to stay close to her. You know, when you got a good, like the old 70s songs, the 70s songs are great because it's all about, they're not confused about men and women. Okay. The 70s are like that. So, so, you know, when, 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 when you got a beautiful woman, you got to stay by her side because everyone's going to try to get her. So there I go to cosmetology school. To make sure I didn't lose her. Yeah, all the guys are gay. I didn't know that. I could have stayed at college. She's like in a safe haven. What was I thinking? Anyway, I became a cosmetologist. Okay, so long story short, dropped out of school. My dad was right, but I still had a great job and the ability to, you know, provide for her. So now, because we live in a fallen world, girls, too need a solid education. I say at minimum, a four-year degree. This is so they can be a Proverbs 31 woman who supplements their husband's income with their own ventures and to ensure that they can be self-sufficient should their husbands become physically abusive, adulterous, or abandon them for whatever reason. It's far easier to divorce a morally bankrupt husband who's unrepentant if you can get a good-paying job. If not, a lot of women stay in places where their lives are at risk. Okay, heavenly provision. Not just physical. We as fathers are supposed to provide for the spiritual needs of our family. Romans 9, 1 through 5. As a Christian, Paul speaking, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. The Holy Spirit, along with my own thoughts, supports me in this. I have deep sorrow, endless heartache. I wish I could be condemned and cut off from Christ for the sake of others who, like me, are Jewish by birth. They are Israelites, God's adopted children. They have the Lord's glory, the pledges, Moses' teaching, the true worship, and the promises. The Messiah is descended from their ancestors according to his human nature. This Messiah is God over everything, forever blessed. Amen. 
God is the father of Israel. He adopted her. The sons of Israel are the adopted children of God, his firstborn. And this is what we have in this passage, five things that God has given to his children. As a father, he gave them five things in addition to the physical needs that were met by him. And because of that, we also strive as earthly fathers to give these same things to our children. Number one, his glory. His glory. We teach our children about his majesty and power. We tell them the stories of the miracles of Egypt and Pharaoh, the power struggles. We tell them the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We tell them the stories of the virgin birth of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. This is the glory of God. This is about his dignity, his reputation, his fame. This is what we teach them. We help them to understand they're made in his image. We, we help them to, to, to discern what it means to be a God imager, that it's a status, that they as, as children of God through faith of Jesus have the status of a God imager, that they're valuable to God. We help them to understand their potential for success and happiness through faith in Jesus. That's his glory. We want to impart that to our kids. We want to tell him about his pledges. That's a reference to the covenants of promise. We shared the gospel with them. We introduced them to Jesus, who is Savior and King over everything. We don't leave that up to the church. The church is there to support that. We don't leave that up to the evangelist. The evangelist is out working with those who have no fathers to share the gospel. No, as fathers, we want to share the gospel with our children, introducing them to Jesus, helping them to develop a personal relationship with Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and to ensure that they're baptized and discipled in the faith goes on to say that we have his teachings, the teachings of Moses. We have the teachings of Moses. It's what we call the Torah. This is what Paul refers to when he instructs Timothy how to be a good pastor. He says in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, Timothy, however, continue in what you have learned and found to be true. You know who your teachers were. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. It's the first century. There's no New Testament. What's he referring to? He's referring to the Torah, the instructions of God in written form, what we call the Tanakh or the Old Testament. That's what Timothy had. He says, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. They have the power to give you wisdom so that you can be saved through faith in Christ Jesus. And then verses 16 and 17. Every scripture passage is inspired by God. All of them are useful for teaching, pointing out errors, correcting people, training them for a life that has God's approval. They equip God's servants so that they are completely prepared to do good things. So as fathers, one of the things we do is we make sure that our families are plugged in and are members of a local Bible-believing church where they can be supported in their faith and way of life. 
Remember, one of our civil leaders made the statement, it takes a village to raise a child. Very controversial, of course. But I want to make this statement. It takes an authentic, elder-led congregation to raise a disciple for Jesus. Families alone cannot do that. That, that, that isn't even the, res, the primary responsibility of a, of a family. That's the responsibility of a faith community. And it takes a faith community, an authentic, elder-led community, to raise up disciples for Jesus. Kids that are raised in credible, elder-led congregations have a greater potential for success and happiness in life. It doesn't secure it. It just raises dramatically the chances for a successful and happy life. And, and, and of course, we're going to suffer. We're going to have persecutions. That's a given. But we also were marked by a joy and a quality of life that's blessed of God. And that comes through discipleship. That happens in credible, authentic local churches. Fathers, let's do our part in making sure we provide real churches for them to participate in and grow up in. My dad, he marched us off to, to church every week. I, I was raised in a devout Catholic home. We have more festivals than the, than the Jews. We do. If you look at Catholic holy days, there are so many. It's like you're in church more than three quarters of the year. You know, it's just so many. My dad would march us off for all the major festivals, for all the minor ones, and then, of course, every Sunday. I remember growing up, my dad, he had to go to the earliest mass. You know, you'd have like three or four mass or church services. He'd like, we're going to 6 a.m. church service. Why? Because it's the earliest. I mean, if there was a 5 a.m., we'd be at the 5 a.m., you know, so... Oh my gosh, dragging us out. But he always made sure we were in bed early, of course. But he'd drag us out. We'd go to, to, to church on Sunday. And, uh, and then our family, we had a responsibility every week. We signed up for this responsibility. Our job was to leave the service just a little early, go down to Winchell's Donuts, pick up a bunch of donuts, and bring them back for the fellowship after the service. We, we were the favored family. Everyone loved us. We had the donuts, right? So anyway, we'd go to church every week, get the donuts, and um, have some fellowship afterwards, and, and then we went home. And we never missed church. It was a cardinal sin. In Catholicism, it's a cardinal sin. It's a, it's a felony to miss church. They understand the Sabbath. They get the day wrong, but they understand the principle of the Sabbath. They don't miss for anything. It's a capital offense. You can read about it. You have to be sick or injured or saving physical lives from imminent death in order to miss church. Suffice it to say, my dad was a better Sunday keeper than most Sabbath keepers I know. He may have had the day wrong, but he knew how to keep it holy. 
Most people who say they keep the Sabbath may have the right day, but they don't really know how to keep it. They miss for reasons that I'm just shocked with half the time. My donkey's in the ditch. No, your donkey's an ass. <laughs> to use the King James vernacular, right? You keep that up, I'm going to shoot your donkey. I'm your pastor. I want to help you. Why'd you shoot my donkey? I'm trying to help you. Get to service. It is a command of God that carries a capital offense. And because we're under grace, we don't die when we break it. But that's not an excuse to miss it. Are you with me? Do you love me? Because I love you. But if we want to be the people of God, we want to be good fathers. If we want to raise good, solid families, we got to teach our children the importance of the holy day of God, the day Jesus went to church on, the day that safeguards our peace and our joy and our sanity, the day that we get to be like royals where we don't have to be marched around by employers. We are the children of God. The Sabbath identifies us as the people of God. So, in closing, because I'm over my time limit, men... As we become husbands and fathers, our responsibility is to provide for the physical needs of our family and also the spiritual needs of our family. And because I'm out of time, that's it. I can't even do a good closing. But there's always next week. So I will see you next week. Shabbat shalom. God's blessing be upon you this week, you and your families. Amen.